to hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. Welcome to the Death Panel. Patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show. We couldn't do any of this without you. If you're listening to this and you're not a patron, help support our work and get access to all of our weekly bonus episodes, including the back catalog at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. So today I'm here with my co-host, Artie Vierkant. Hello. And the two of us are joined by returning guest and good friend of the panel, Nathan Tankus. Nathan is an unparalleled expert on the very technical details of monetary policy and central banking. He is the publisher of the Notes on the Crises newsletter and the research director of the Modern Money Network. Nathan, welcome back to the Death Panel. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, great to be here. So we asked you on, Nathan, to talk about some of your work covering the Silicon Valley bank collapse. Now, Silicon Valley Bank reportedly was, you know, experiencing losses. And then there were uninsured depositors who began aggressively pulling deposits, causing liquidity issues. And then by the end of a weekend, the bank was taken over by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, known as the FDIC. And, you know, you have this whole moment where the FDIC then announced that it's covering all depositors up and above the cap standing up a brand new facility called the Bank Term Funding Program to help provide loans to make up all of the money over the insurance limit. And a lot of the way that this has been discussed, you know, is not in terms of this kind of monumental policy response that we saw in terms of standing up a way to sort of deal with the gaps created. Like the extraordinary measures that the Fed and also to a certain extent the FDIC, but especially the Fed took. Right. Yeah, but a lot of the narrative is really focused on like, you know, look at these Silicon Valley losers who had these bad deposits. There was bad oversight. We need more discipline. You know, there was too much risk. All these tech bros, group chat, bank run, you know, and that's for sure interesting. Like, definitely the, I'm, I'm here for the and drama. Funny. But, you know, we're also interested in getting at something else, which is the sort of different side of the story. The big story actually, you know, about what happened is not so much about what happened during this run on the bank, but about what happened in response to the bank run. You know, when the Federal Reserve, which is the central bank and monetary authority of the United States, for anyone who's not familiar, saw that SVB was going to collapse, it declared a crisis and made these big moves um, to sort of quickly solve this. And it's those moves that we're interested in talking about today. And and what they reveal is what we're really interested in discussing. So Nathan, as you wrote in your March 14th piece called Every Complex Banking Issue All at Once, this was a pretty stunning series of events. And the Fed really showed their hand in terms of sort of demonstrating how much political power and agency it really actually has to respond to things in an attempt to avert a crisis. So let's talk about, you know, not just sort of what the Fed did, but even who the Fed uh, was willing to do it for and what that says more broadly um, in terms of talking about what political power our monetary systems actually have. But to start us off and sort of most importantly for context, can you walk through, let's just start with a basic accounting of what happened with the Silicon Valley bank collapse? Yeah. Well, first of all, great to be here. You can imagine I'm doing a number of interviews uh, on this topic, but this is the one. This is the one podcast where I'll like real to really talk about the real issues, um, and oh, yeah. not spend forty minutes on the fluff that really distracts from what's what's actually going on and the, the the core issues of power and ideology and all that, which is the the death panel bread and butter, the good um, stuff. Yeah, yeah, the good stuff. Yeah. 
Um, but to run through the, the the details for a bit, and they you know they do matter. There's some important things along the way. The key thing to understand is that Silicon Valley Bank is just that. It's Silicon Valley Bank. It's exactly what it says on the tin, or rather said on the tin. Um, <laughs> and the key thing that happened in 2020, in case you didn't notice, is that venture capital had a bonanza. It had an absolute career bonanza. Um, I mean, first of all, just tech as an industry exploded in the early parts of the pandemic. You know, the biggest companies see 20% more growth in sales um, by a snap of a finger, and so do a bunch of tiny companies. And there's an anticipation that, oh, yes, you know, all this uh, venture capital stuff, any kind of tech thing that you're working on is going to, you know, see a much bigger customer base in the new pandemic situation. You know, the, that long, long period ago when, you know, people stayed home, they tried to avoid getting infected. The um, pre-Beyblade era. Yeah. You know, the, the, the pandemic era where it was both a pandemic and people believed it was a pandemic. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. And so what Silicon Valley Bank ended up doing was rather than kind of expanding its business model or entering new business areas, other areas that maybe needed loans more. And remember, it's the middle of the pandemic, so it's not like a great time to go expanding into a new business and, you know, saddling, you know, another whole other area of the economy with debt on the assumption that they have some great, you know, business idea that they're going to be able to make a bunch of sales and expand based on your loans. So they did what they did instead was they bought securities, plain old boring treasury securities. Securities that mature in, in in five years, more than five years, 10 years, to get that little bit more of interest that comes mm -hmm. with buying a longer maturity treasury security. And in this situation that it seemed, seemed fine. I mean, we were in the middle of, a, you know, the coronavirus depression. There were, mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to even remember now, but there was a few weeks in March where like millions and millions of people lost their job every week. Yeah. They, you know, I was just looking back on, on this actually recently because it's like important to remind yourself. Like mm -hmm. there were weeks where so many people lost the jobs. It was, it was, it was beyond off the charts. I mean, the the the, the biggest day of the biggest week of losing jobs in in two thousand eight was like nothing compared to how many jobs were being lost. In just in March 2020 and and in early April 2020, um, and it's 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 very hard to kind of remember that now, but it's true. In that context, you know, and I was writing, I was using the term coronavirus depression. Um, it was hard to kind of look around the corner and see the like further consequences, and we had so many problems to respond to in the immediate term. That like the idea that the economy would would recover and you know you you we'd be out of a depression and the Fed might be raising interest rates was a very hard concept to conceive. And the all the other piece of that, of course, is the fact that that happened represents a failure of government policy. Like it wasn't simply, and this is so, it's so hard to remember. It wasn't simply oh people just didn't predict that the economy would recover. The economy recovering was a problem because it meant that we, that you were unleashing the virus. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they, they, the, it, that is, it's, I mean, like, obviously this is the bread and butter of death panel, but <laughs> in, even in the context where you're dealing with it every week, it can still be hard, easy to remember that context because we're so suffused in this other environment. And so fundamentally the economy recovered because the government gave up on COVID protection policies and that led the economy to recover. The economy recovers, demand goes up because we've had these big, you know, you know, fiscal programs. We haven't, we have all these supply chain disruptions, which we, you know, are our best very slow in actually directly trying to solve. And we take the foot off the pedal of the COVID, you know, health and safety regulations, which their purpose was to keep the economy repressed, was shut down, was to keep services not being produced, was to keep, was to repress economic activities that were a breeding ground for viral transmission. Mm -hmm. That was the purpose. So the fact that the economy recovered so quickly and we got into a situation of 3.4% unemployment, you know, in some sense, you know, that's better than the absolute failure of the response after 2008. But in another sense, it is a, reflects a failure of our health and safety regulations. You know, the economy should have been, should still be much more depressed <laughs> because we because we hadn't taken off the foot in the gas. We would be doing a different policy if we were actually doing the job of trying to suppress the virus. So that's like an essential piece is thinking out like, well, in the context of what we should have been doing, interest rates would have stayed lower for a longer period of time. Right. So this wouldn't have even happened, basically, yeah. is what you're saying. People were taking, yes, people were taking surprise, were, were t- you know, including, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, you know, random bankers were taken by surprise by the term. To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. You'll get access to this and the rest of our catalog of patron-only episodes, and be the first to get a new patron episode every Monday when it drops. With love, the Death Panel.